0: All right, Uh, well, last week we began a new series, and during this series we're going to be exploring the relationship that we have with God, but we're going to be looking at it through the filter or the lenses of Him being our Father. And so when we look at this, we're really going to be seeing two angles here. We want to see what our Father is like, but we also want to see, you know, what it's like to be His child. Um, In my opinion, understanding what our father is like is going to greatly determine how we live out as his children. Um, A.W. Tozer made this statement, and I think he's dead on with it. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is literally the most important thing about us. You see, here's the deal. We will always act out what we will believe. If we believe something, we will act out as if it were true. And so therefore, our lives and our actions are going to reflect our beliefs about God. Here's an example. If we think that God is a mean and harsh and angry God, we're going to live out as if that were true. If we believe that God is a distant God and that He really wants nothing to do with us, He's just going to leave us be, then we're going to live out our lives not really engaged with Him. So do you see what I mean? What we believe about God is so very important. So therefore... We need to get to know God, because it's going to affect our lives as children. And as I said last week, God truly wants us to get to know Him, okay? This isn't just a one-sided thing. It's not just us trying to clamor for God's attention, kind of like kids do. You remember when our, our kids were small, and our kids are always trying to get attention, like, hey, Mom, 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 and you're trying to do this, and you're like, Mom, Mom. You're like, yes, Billy, what do you need? You're like, yeah, really, that's awesome. That's really good. Mom, mom, mom. And they're like, oh, I was trying to get your attention. No, we don't have to clamor for God's attention. He loves it when we seek his attention. And God truly desires us to get to know him. If we ask, it's going to be given. If we knock on the door, the door's going to be open. If we seek, we're going to find him. And, and listen to me. Pay attention to this statement. Because we need to let this soak in because it's so true and it's so powerful. The God of this universe truly wants to get to know you. It's the truth. In fact, let me show you how much he wants to get to know you. This will prove it to you. And in doing this, I'm going to be repeating a lot of stuff we've covered in past sermons, mainly our definitions, churchy words that we use all the time, but we don't fully know what they mean. And I'm going to be hitting on those you know, as, uh, in this part right here, so it's going to sound familiar, but it's most definitely so important for us to review this. Okay. But let me show you, how much God wants us to get to know Him. Okay, Let's look at one of the most famous verses of the Bible. John 3.16. You will see it in football games. You'll see it in basketball games. Any professional sports. They like to hang the poster up. But it says this. It says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now let's, let's back up and let's unpack this. Okay? For God so what? loved. And who did he love? The world. Okay. Every single person, past, present, and future, God loved. God loved his creation so much that he sent who? His son. His His one and only son, the one that he had perfect communion with in heaven. Okay. A a, a time, a a community of, of that Trinity. Jesus was part of that, but he sent his son to become one of us. Now, why did he send his son? So that whoever believes in his son, remember that word believe, it's just not mental assent. If we believe something, we're going to act out as if it were true. Whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but instead have eternal life. Now, let me ask you a question. What do you think common Christianity, how would they interpret that term eternal life? If we believe in Jesus, what do we get? What would people say? Get to go to heaven when we die. okay? That's how they would interpret eternal life. I want to just say this very clearly. That's not what that verse is saying. It's saying that if we believe in Jesus, we're going to have eternal life. That's what it is saying. It's not saying we're going to go to heaven when we die. Uh, Naturally, we'll be included. But let me show you. If eternal life is not talking about heaven, what is it talking about? Well, thankfully, Jesus tells us. In John 17, 3, Jesus gives us the very definition of the term eternal life. Let me show you. Jesus is is having his high priestly prayer. He's talking to his Father, and he says this. He goes, now this is eternal life. Now, when we read those words, we should go, whoa, let's pay attention. Let's see what this is, because he's going to define what eternal life is. And he goes, this is eternal life, that they may, what? Know Know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So looking at this verse, third service, tell me, what is eternal life? Knowing God. Eternal life is knowing God. For God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus to come to this earth so that whoever believes in him might come to know him. Or in other words, have eternal life. Knowing God is eternal life. So let me ask you, how much does God want us to know Him? So much so that He sent His Son. That's how much He wants us to get to know Him. And that's why I say this isn't just a one-way relationship where we're clamoring to get His attention. No, God made the first move in this. He pursued us. Like it says in Scripture, we love because He, what? First loved us. God made the first move. Because he loved us so much, he invaded human history in pursuit of us. He sent his son so that we could have eternal life. And what is eternal life? Knowing Knowing God. Now, very quickly, we could just blow over that and not pay attention to that, but what does knowing God mean? What is the definition for the word knowledge according to this statement? If eternal life is knowing God, what does knowing God mean? Does it mean that we just know about him? Um, have some information up here in our brains about Him. What does knowing God mean? Here's what it means. Knowledge, or knowing, means it, to have an interactive relationship with. Now you might be going, uh, I don't know what that means. Let me try to explain it to you. Let's say that you had a brain tumor. And you needed surgery on that brain tumor. And you're going around, you're looking for brain surgeons to, to perform this surgery, what are you going to do? You're going to try to find a surgeon who what? Knows what he's doing. Okay? If you go to the surgeon and you say, have you ever performed a sur- surgery before? No, no, no. But I have done to college. I got my degree. I've learned about it. I, you know, I've seen it in the study books and everything. So, yeah, I, I know. it. What would you do? Yeah, No. I want somebody who knows what they do and who they have an interactive relationship with brain surgery. In other words, it, would you take your car, when you take your car to the mechanics to get your car fixed, would you go to a mechanic that has a big sign out front that says, sometimes we get lucky in fixing your car. <laughs> no. You want to go to a mechanic who knows what he's doing. who They have the proper information to interact correctly with a certain situation. That's what knowing is. So let's put this all together. God loved us so much, he sent his son Jesus to the earth so that we could get to know him, have an interactive relationship with him. He said, Jesus, I'm going to send you to this earth and you're going to show them and you're going to teach them and you're going to explain to them who I am, what I'm like, my nature, my personality. You're going to be the revealer of who I am and they're going to get to know me And then finally, we're going to have this interactive relationship. That was Jesus' mission. And so, if that was Jesus' mission, then tell me, Whitestone, what must we do to receive this eternal life? How do we get to know God? What does John 3.16 say? By what? believing in Jesus. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have eternal life. We must believe in Jesus. So that means if we want to get to know God, we must believe everything Jesus said. Believe in everything how Jesus lived. Believe everything about Jesus. And in doing so, we're going to get to know the Father. Now, there's a lot of directions we we could go with this, but I want to simply go this route because this is what our series is focusing on. Let me show you a verse in Matthew 6. Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount, and he comes to the topic of prayer, and he says this. He goes, guys, I know there's a lot of people who like to stand on the street corners, and they pray, and they like everybody to hear them. He goes, those people, they get their reward. They They have men, watch them. He says, don't do that. Uh, If you're going to pray, I want you to go into your closet and you just be there alone. And your unseen father, who sees what is done in secret, he will reward you. He says, oh, oh, by the way, don't just babble on like the pagans. Your heavenly father knows what you're going to say before you even say it. So you don't have to babble on. And then he goes and he says this. He goes, when you pray, in other words, when you talk to God, pray like this. And what does he start the prayer off? Our father. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now notice he says, Our Father. Listen, when you pray, call him Father. Jesus is telling us that we can address the God of this universe as Father. You want to know something interesting? A few years ago, a German scholar was doing research in New Testament literature. And he discovered that in all the entire history of Judaism, in all the existing books of the Old Testament, and the existing um, extra-biblical Jewish writings dating up to the 10th century A.D., there was not a single reference in Jewish history there of a person, a Jewish person, addressing God directly in the first person as father. Now, there there were other appropriate titles that they used, And their children were trained to memorize them and address them as that. But guess what? The term father was not one of them. In fact, the first Jewish rabbi to ever call God father was guess who? It was Jesus. And let me tell you, that was a radical departure from, you know, regular tradition. And, you know, in fact, in every prayer recorded of Jesus, except for one, and there's a reason for it, Jesus addresses God as father. And I think that's honestly why he, that was the reason a lot of Jesus' enemies wanted to kill him for it. You see, Jesus lived as if he had an intimate, personal, interactive relationship with the sovereign God of heaven, the creator of all things. And he dared to speak with this God using intimate titles such as Father. And then he went around telling everybody else, yeah, you can do that too. Jesus was the first to ever tell us that we could approach our God as Father. So, if that's true, let me ask you, Whitestone. If Jesus says we can approach our sovereign God uh, as Father, then tell me, what should we do? We should approach our sovereign God as Father. Now, why? Because we believe in Jesus. And if we believe in Jesus, we're going to live out and we're going to act as if He were right about everything. So, we will approach our God as Father. So the question is then, well then, okay, how? How do we approach God as our Father? Do we just pretend that this unseen God is like a dad and kind of pretend our way through this? How do we do it? Well, that's a good question. And first of all, something we need to understand is that we don't just approach the Father. Let me show you something about our Father. 1 Timothy, it says, God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. You see that? You see what that verse is telling us? Our Father God is unapproachable. No one has seen him nor can they see him without perishing. So the first thing that we need to understand is that our Father dwells in unapproachable light. We don't just approach Him whenever and however we want. In other words, we don't just go, Oh, cool. God is like a dad. I'm just going to go hang out with Dad. Yo, Dad, what's up? No, our God is a consuming fire. He dwells in in unapproachable light. You don't just walk into His presence willy-nilly. You will perish. So... If that's what God is like, then how do we approach Him? How can we come to Him then? Well, that third service is why God the Father sent His Son. Look at what Jesus says here. Jesus is talking to His disciples. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is very important statements that Jesus is making here. He makes three very important statements about himself. And, And by the way, a lot of the Jewish nation, the Jews, they would have grown up learning about the way to God. They would have known the Torah. They would have seen the verses. Like, here's a bunch of verses just saying this. Psalm 5, "...lead me, Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me." Psalms 18, "...as for God, his way is perfect." Psalm 25, show me your ways, Lord. Teach me your paths. Isaiah 30, whether you turn to the right, to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Isaiah 35, in a highway will be there. It will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. The Jews knew a lot about the way of God in which they should walk. They would have grown up being taught about it. And that then Jesus All of a sudden, in the upper room, sitting around a table with his disciples, he says something shocking. He says, listen, I'm the way. I'm the way. Now, what did Jesus mean by that? What he means is that he didn't just say, hey, guys, you want to know the way? I want you to take three blocks down there, turn left, walk about a half a mile, then turn right, and you're going to go down another quarter block and turn right again, then you'll get there. No, Jesus didn't say that. He didn't show us the way. Jesus is the way. He says, grab my hand, follow me. I'm the way. I'm not going to show you the way. I am the way. He did the same thing when he spoke about truth. He says, I am the truth. A lot of Jewish people would have known about the truth. Well, the famous verse that we all know about us in Psalm 86, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Once again, a very well-known scripture in the Torah. See, here's the deal. Many people have told us the truth, but no one's ever embodied it like Jesus Many can say, listen, I have taught you the truth. But only Jesus can say, I am the truth. You see, truth isn't a thing. It's a someone. It's Jesus. And Jesus is like, you want to know the way? I am the way. I'm not just going to show you the way. I am the way. You want to know the truth? I'm not just going to show you the truth. I am the truth. You want to know about life? I'm not just going to tell you about life. I am the life. You see, Jesus was the fulfillment of these three things. He embodied the way, the truth, and the life. And then Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, this is where a lot of people in the world, they have a hang-up. And they're like, well, that sounds a little bit restricting. Jesus is the only way to get to the Father. Oh, brother, talk about narrow-minded. All you Christians are narrow-minded. I don't know what I should think about that. People get hung up with that statement. Well, guess what? Jesus also said this. He goes, broad is the path that leads to destruction, and many people find that. But narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few find it. So, yeah, you're right. It's narrow. He is the only way to get to the Father. So, third service. How do we approach the Father? Through Jesus. We approach God the Father through Jesus Christ. Period. There's no other way. Jesus is the only one who can make it possible for us to approach the Father. Remember, the Father dwells in unapproachable light. We don't have access to the Father. So Jesus had to make a way for us. And how did he do that? Let's talk about it. Because it's powerful. First of all, remember that because of our sins, we are what? Dead. We are spiritually dead. The wages of sin is death. So we were spiritually dead. Not gasping for air, kind of a... No, we were dead. Spiritually dead. That means that our spirits are dead because of sin. Now, if God is spirit and we are spiritually dead, how in the world can we connect or have access to God? We can't. That's the problem. It's a little bit like this. Can I get, yeah, can you guys bring that up here? Sorry. Sorry, I forgot to tell you guys to bring it up. Give it up for these two movers.
1: Thank you. <clears throat> it's
0: like this. When God, God created the earth... Ah, oh, good. When God created... Ah, oh, awesome. He created us with physical bodies. Okay? The earth is physical. We have physical bodies. But tell us, we are physical beings, but what else do we have? We have spirits. Our bodies are the tents for our spirits. Now, God... He dwells in the unseen realm. And God is what? He is spirit. Okay? Now, if we dwell in the unseen realm, or in the seen realm and he dwells in the unseen realm, how are we able to connect to God? By way of our what? Spirit. Exactly. Okay? That's how God created us. We connect to God who is spirit through our spirits. We are spiritually connected to God. But when we sin, what happened? We spiritually die. And that connection with God the Father is now broken. We are spiritually dead. So there's no way we can connect with our Father. Okay, Now, there's a story of a guy by the name of Nicodemus who he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night because he doesn't want other people to see him. And he comes to Jesus and he goes, Hey, Jesus, listen, we know you're from God because you're doing some things that there'd be no way possible unless you are from God. But man, I just don't, I don't understand so many things and Jesus says something really weird to him he says Nicodemus listen you will never be able to enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again And Nicodemus is like so are you telling me that I need to enter my mother's womb and be born again and Jesus I'm sure was like yeah Nicodemus that's what I'm saying (laughs) no obviously that's not what I'm saying And he goes on and he says this, Jesus answers like this, he goes, what I'm telling you so earnestly is this, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he can't enter the kingdom of God. Men can only produce human life, but the Holy Spirit gives new life from heaven. So don't be surprised at my statement that you must be born again. And and I can imagine Nicodemus standing there going, yeah, I'm still not getting it. And Jesus goes, Nicodemus, man, you're a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? And Jesus continues to teach him, and he refers Nicodemus back to a story in the Old Testament. And the story is when Moses and the Israelites were in the wilderness... And during that time, a bunch of snakes came out of the mountains and started biting people, and people were dying, and the the people were getting all freaked out, and they went to Moses, and they said, Moses, we're dying. What are you going to do? And so Moses went to God, and he says, God, what should I do? And God says, I want you to build a bronze serpent, put it up on a pole, raise it up, so that when anybody looks at that bronze serpent, they will be healed, and they won't die from the snake bite. So Moses goes, he makes this bronze serpent, he puts it up on a pole, raises it up, and the people who looked at the the bronze serpent who believed what God said they saw the serpent and they were saved they did not die but the rest of the people said forget that I'm not gonna look at some dumb little bronze serpent I'm just gonna do try to do whatever I can they died and then Jesus to Nicodemus he goes and just as Moses in the desert lifted up the brass replica of the snake on a pole for all the people to see and be healed So the Son of Man is ready to be lifted up so that those who truly believe in Him will not perish but be given eternal life. And guess what the next verse is? For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. You see, Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, listen, people are dying in darkness. People are lost and helpless, just like the people in the wilderness with Moses. And unless you're born again, unless you're able to be made spiritually alive, become spiritually enlivened, you will not be able to enter into the kingdom of God. In other words, you will not be able to interact with the spiritual activity of God. You won't be able to do life with God, because God is spirit, and you're spiritually dead. Well, just as Moses raised up the bronze serpent so that people could see and be healed, I too am going to be lifted up. And I'm going to be lifted up on a pole or a cross for all to see. And the transaction that's going to happen on that cross in the unseen spiritual realm, for those who believe in me, I'm going to make it possible for them to become spiritually alive. I am going to enliven them. I am going to regenerate them. My death is going to bring them life. Because the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out over all those who believe in me. Like it says in Titus. It says, when God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us what? New birth and a new life through the Holy Spirit. And He generously poured out His Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And because of His grace, He made us right in His sight and gave us confidence that we will inherit what? <coughs> Tearing our life. And you know what? It was the Father who initiated, initiated all this. He's the source to our becoming spiritually alive. You know, in 1 John it says that God's seed remains in us so that we could be called sons of God, daughters of God. You know, that's why we call Him Father. Because His seed is in us. His spiritual DNA is in us. Just like your earthly father, you have your earthly father's DNA in you. Okay? That's why you look like him. That's why you take on mannerisms like him. You walk and act like him. You have some of your earthly father's DNA. His seed is in you. Well, guess what? We have a spiritual heavenly father, and his spiritual DNA is in us. And we now have, because his DNA is in us, he is our father, and we are his children. We're connected because he, by way of his spirit, has filled us. And that's why we call him dad. That's why we call him father. Guys, that's the miracle of becoming a child of God. And it literally is a miracle. It's the miraculous power of God being poured out in us to accomplish what we could never do on our own. That's grace. In such a way that it enlivens our spirit. Remember that spirit that was dead before? is now miraculously made alive through belief in Jesus Christ. And we now have the spirit of God in us. And that's why, because of Jesus, because our belief in him, what he did for us on the cross, we now have the spirit of God in us. We're made spiritually alive. And this is reconnected. And we now have access to our Heavenly Father. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Amen? And I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care your background. I don't care anything. If you believe in Jesus, this miracle has happened in you. Your spirit, which was was dead is now alive you have access to your spiritual father because of jesus and i don't know about you but i need to keep coming back to this miracle over and over and over again to be reminded of the beauty and the awesomeness and the amazingness of this miracle that i was spiritually dead and now i'm alive And that's only because of the miraculous grace of God being poured out in my life, accomplishing what I could never do on my own. And I have to constantly remind myself of this grace because you know what? It's so easy to lose sight of it. It's so easy to just set aside and ignore it. But you can't do that because it's a miracle. But we just tend to pretend it isn't. Like I've shared this before, previous sermons, i when it comes to testimonies, I for like a, about a decade before in my rest of my life, I I never liked sharing my testimony. And if you don't know what a testimony is, a testimony is the story about how you came to know Jesus, how you came to know the Lord. And uh, you know, in Christian circles, everybody likes to tell their testimonies.
1: They're like, huh, "Tom, can you share your testimony with us today?" Hey, Sally, can you share your testimony? Ed is going to come
0: tonight and share his testimony, so we'd like everybody to come and hear that tonight. And everybody's just like, testimony, testimony. And, you know, I just never have liked sharing my testimony because I've always felt my testimony is boring. So I didn't like sharing it. You know how it is. You'd be like sitting in a Bible study with a group of people, and some guy named
1: Rocco is there. And they're like, Rocco, why don't you share your testimony? So Rocco's like, well, I was born in Los Angeles age two, my mother died, and my dad ran away, and I'd lived on the street since I was two, <laughs> and, uh, I joined a gang, and I was part of a motorcycle gang, Hell's Angels, and that's where I got all these tattoos here, and, uh, teardrops here, and, um, so yeah, I was pretty, I mean, I was hooked on meth, and, um, crack cocaine, and all the drugs, and I just did it, and I remember one day, I was at the bar, and I was, I was pretty trashed, and, uh, um, a guy started arguing with me, and I started getting into a big brawl with him. He pulls out a knife, and he stabs me twice in the heart, and I'm like, ha, And so I stagger out of the bar, and I'm trying to run for my life, and I fell into a ditch, and I passed out. And I should have died that night, but that night an angel showed up in the ditch, and he says, Rocco, God wants to use your life. And that time, I, mean, I got up from that ditch, and I was like, oh, my word, I need God. And so I went to the church, and I, there was a pastor there, just happened to be there. He led me to Christ, and ever since that day, I've been running after Jesus. And, and I went to seminary, and I became a pastor, and I got this great pastor's voice, and I could preach to thousands of people, and it's amazing. when he gets done,
0: everybody in the Bible study is like, oh, Rocco, that's awesome, man. Praise, thank you, God. And then they all turn at me and go like, Luke, would you want to share your testimony? <laughs> Like not really, but whatever. Uh, my mom and dad were missionaries, and uh, I was born in a Christian home. And I went to Christian school till eighth grade, and it was pretty hard—a lot of darkness. Uh, and then after high school, I went to Bible school for a couple years, and then shortly after that, I became a pastor. And so yeah, it's, it's been hard. God has really poured out grace, and I just like, oh, and everybody's at this Bible school is like. Well, wow. Thanks, Luke. That's really awesome. <laughs> so I didn't like it. I, I didn't like sharing my testimony. But you know what? Here's the deal. It wasn't until about a decade ago that I realized how wrong I was. Yeah, my story may be different than Rocco's. But you want to know the truth? The same miracle that happened to Rocco happened to me. I was dead, and Jesus made me alive. I had no access to the Father, and now I have access to the Father. So while Rocco and I have different paths to Jesus, Jesus still poured out His same miraculous grace on the both of us. Amen? Amen. And I need you to never forget that. Because I don't care where you're from, what you've done, what your story is, that miracle, if you believe in Jesus, has happened to you. And you must never, ever forget that. In fact, I'd encourage you, to go back and thank the Trinity for it. God loved you so much he sent his son. And this son tells us that you not only can call God your father, but he gave you access to your father. He wants you to get to know him and experience eternal life. And you need to never stop thanking God for that because it's a miracle that's happened to you if you believe Jesus and it's precious you know my dad for as long as i can remember every time he prays every time he prays he will always go through the whole litany of like father thank you for loving us so much that you sent your son to die and jesus thank you for coming and then thanks in the spirit he just thanks he gives us it's like a little sermon in his prayer which is awesome except when you're sitting around the table waiting to eat and you're so hungry and you're like dad oh my land he knows we know that But you know, when I was just most recently in Arizona, Dad is still doing it. And I thought, you know what? That's awesome. I need to do that. I need to constantly go back to the Trinity and thank the Father and thank the Son and thank the Holy Spirit for their part, giving me access to come to the Father because it is a precious gift that we must never lose sight of. Amen? Amen. So let's do it. Here's your homework. In fact, we're not going to call it homework anymore. Somebody sent me an email this week, and they said, "Look, after I was done, man, it wasn't work, it was pleasures. So let's call it home pleasure. (laughs) Kind of need to know the background of that before we promote that, but that's what we're going to do. So this week, I want you to sit down with the Trinity, and I want you to take the time to thank each part for making it possible for you to have access to the Father. I want you to sit down with the Father and say, Father, I know it was you. You were the one that loved us so much that you initiated this. And you sent your son, Jesus. Take your time with us. Then go to Jesus and say, Jesus, thank you for leaving your throne room and glory. Everything. You, you left it and you came to the earth. You became one of us. And then you went all the way to the cross and you died a criminal's death for me. For me. So that if I believe in you, I can have eternal life. And then thank the Holy Spirit for regenerating your spirit so that you could be made spiritually alive and once again being connected to your Father. Thank Him for His part in that. And then go back to the Father and say, Father, thank You that I can now come to You. And in coming to You, I want You to teach me about Yourself because I want to get to know my dad. Amen? Amen? Let me pray for You. Heavenly Father, thank You that that's just not a title, And there's no relationship with it. There is a relationship with it. And Jesus made that possible. And so God, I pray that we might step into that, that we might begin to understand what it means that you're our Father and we are your children, and we might begin to experience that in our lives in a powerful way. And I pray this in the name of Jesus who made this all possible. Let it be so. Amen. Guys, love you so very, very much. Have an awesome week and we'll see you next Sunday.